Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about some nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we are going to talk about government spying and controlled speech. It's really important for us to understand these things as the government becomes increasing totalitarian and interested in what you say, where you say it, all those details, and also about compelling your speech in a certain direction. And we're going to see some examples of that today. So Aaron, as we get started, why do we need to talk about this subject and maybe what is exactly happening in our society that should concern us? Yeah, so my thesis is that the the state is evidently and very increasingly spying on its citizens and frankly levying some threats toward us to try to control what we can and cannot say and developing unjust laws to promote and sort of guard their own narrative, maybe a better way of putting it is their own ideologies so I think we would all agree that there there is a limit to freedom of expression. There is a limit to freedom of speech when it comes to calling for the death of another person or these sorts of egregious uses of, of language. But that's not what we're talking about. In our in the last couple of years, primarily as a result of the Trudeau government's campaign against God and campaign against true liberty, and campaign against the historic, moral, biblical underpinnings of Western civilization, there's a real interest from this current administration in our country, and I think we see the same ideology reflected in the Biden administration south of the border, to control what people say. And we have these new words out floating around, misinformation, disinformation, hate speech. They, they like to grab onto those words in order to try to control what people say. And I want to expose that. So the ideology, by the way, that they're promoting is sort of a, a combination of things. There's some statism in there. There's some neo-paganism in there. There's some antinomianism in there, even if they don't know what those terms are. Those are the ideas. Statism, by the way, is essentially when the state tries to consolidate all powers that have been duly designated by God to various spheres of society into the hands and power of the state. And then the state becomes your moral arbiter. The state becomes your ultimate authority, becomes the authority over your marriage, the authority over your children, the authority over your employment, the authority over your church, the authority over your body. That's statism. Neo-paganism is essentially just a newfangled, more sophisticated repackaging of old paganism. The paganism that Christians chased out of Europe, for example, pre-Christian Europe, is being rebooted in a new modern form. And what we, we talk about it as paganism because the two critical elements to that is the or are the worship of nature. We see that this hyper fixation on saving the planet. And in order to do that, we need to depopulate. We need to 
force people onto vegetarian diets, etc. And then one of the other aspects of paganism that historically marked pagan cultures is unrestrained expressions of human sexuality. And the light of Christ chased a lot of that out of Europe a millennia ago or more. And that is as Christianity wanes and is pushed to the sidelines, we see an increased emphasis on the worship of nature, the deification of nature. Again, they don't, it's more sophisticated language. It's called the climate change or protecting the planet, this sort of thing. We've talked about that in other podcasts. And then just absolutely removing all boundaries and barriers to, to human, how humanity uses its sexuality. So that's essentially neo-paganism. And then antinomianism, of course, in, in theological terms, that can refer specifically to the Mosaic law. But the way I'm using it is just a, an opposition to divine law, just a, a flat-out opposition to divine law, and replacing that with radical libertarianism, which isn't really much different than tyranny, by the way. A shallow view of love and grace, a, a love and grace without any covenantal boundaries, which becomes flat and meaningless. So this is, these are the things that are part of this new ideology, this progressive ideology, an, an admixture of statism and neo-paganism and, and a real opposition to God's laws, God's word. And in, into that mix, we have the leaders of our state and their experts, their, their technocrats asserting their authority and special divine insight over all spheres of life to control all aspects of life with new disastrous economic laws, with new definitions of marriage, with new definitions of the family, with uh, a new arrangement in terms of how the state interacts with the church, with the state being under the church in their view, in their view and a, an absolute control over all of life. So what you say, uh, the nature of marriage, how you worship, how you spend, how you travel, how you interact with the physical world around you is increasingly being controlled by the state itself. And that's their ideology. So when we speak out against that, the state sees it as being within their best interest to create laws, to mute you. And if you're if you cannot be muted, then to penalize you. So that's essentially what we want to talk about in today's podcast. Okay. So I think that hits a nerve with many people. They've seen some evidences of that in the last couple of years, especially if not before then. And many of us have kind of, we sometimes use the term woken up to it, but what would be some examples, maybe specifically examples of the spying and controlled speech that we have seen recently? Sure. I want to give several exhibits. Now, I'm a Canadian, so I, I, I follow what's going on in Canada. The same kind of things are happening in different packaging in other Western nations. So if you're listening from another country, you don't need to tune out. But I want to bring you up to speed on some things that are happening in Canada and then one that's a little, little more beyond our borders. So exhibit A would be this ludicrous, it's almost, you almost think it's satire, this new job posting that the... Uh, Public Health Agency of Canada has recently put out. So the, the Public Health Agency of Canada sort of oversees obviously public health, which is sort of part of their part of their title. And what they're doing now, believe it or not, is they're hiring 
social media spies to analyze social media posts about vaccines. So literally the Canadian government is spending money. They've put out a, a call for applicants whereby you can, you can apply for a job to monitor, to analyze, to be a data an analysis uh, analyst, all the, th the, the comments people are making about vaccines. Now, this show isn't about vaccines, okay? You could take the word vaccine out and put in there your comments about your church, your comments about your family, whatever your opinions, your comments about politics. But it should concern us. Now, I just want to, uh, uh, if you want to check this out online, you can type in the terms vaccination confidence in Canada, colon, online conversation and audience analysis. And what they're wanting to do is they want to come up with this new job. And here's how it's being described. In preparation for increased vaccination education, promotion, and outreach, the Public Health Agency of Canada, PHAC, is requiring the service of a consultant to analyze the vaccine-related conversations on social media and PHAC social media initiative and campaign performance. So, goes on to say, the consultant will analyze vaccine-related conversations and their participants. So, think about that for a moment. They want to hire someone to go on social media, analyze what people are saying about the vaccines, and analyze the people that are, that are actually involved in the conversation. Goes on to say, on Twitter, social media channels, Reddit, blogs, forums, and news, spanning up to three years of historical data. Think about that. It goes on to say the consultant will analyze PHAC's social media initiative and campaign performance, including content engagements and the campaign's influence on vaccine-related conversations. So let's just suppose for a moment that you're listening to this podcast and you are a bona fide anti-vaxxer. Chances are this will immediately concern you because you'll hear in there the word vaccine. You're like, well, I'm an anti-vaxxer. So I, I don't like vaccines ever, nowhere, no how, never been into them. I can't believe that they're going to be following me around and kind of watching what I say about it. Like, what are they going to do with that information? This should concern people. But let's suppose you're anti-COVID vax, but you've had other vaxes. Like, well, I wouldn't really, I'm not an anti-vaxxer per se, but I'm opposed to this vaccine. And so the fact that they're going to be following what I happen to say about vaccines gives me second, a bit of a second pause, a bit of a, a, a pause to question whether I want to talk about this issue because what are they going to do with that information? Could it affect future job opportunities? Could it affect access to public health services, et cetera? But then there's a group that would be pro-vaccine. And I think a lot of Canadians are, even ones that have taken the MNRA vaccines, and they might say, well, you know what? This doesn't relate to me. But folks, this should be of concern to every person listening to this podcast. Pro-vaxxers, quasi-pro-vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, because it's not fundamentally about the vaccine. That's not primarily what it's about. The vaccine is a convenient tool for the government to practice its control over the population because we live in a Darwinian culture 
and people primarily conceive of themselves as biotic beings. Therefore, the ultimate goal is to care for your uh, physical biotic health. We also live in a society that's largely uh, favorable towards socialized medicine. So they can use all the language of, you know, do it for the common good, don't burden the health system. It's the perfect tool to manipulate and coerce, but it's not really the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue is not about whether you're a pro-vaxxer, a quasi-anti-vaxxer, or a true anti-vaxxer. The, the, the major concern is, do we want to live in a culture where your taxpayers are forcibly sent to the government, the government then hires people to monitor your opinions on these issues online? So that's a major red flag, and it should concern us. Now, by the way, if you go check out the site, you'll notice there is a section on there for companies to submit comments. I checked it out today. There's four of them. They're all hilarious. They're all like spoof. They're getting a lot of pushback. I would encourage other people to go on there and give them equal pushback. <laughs> there's, there's some hilarious comments on there. So exhibit B now moving in a, a, into a different category. So this isn't about vaccines. This is about, this is about censorship. So many of you have probably heard of a man by the name of Dr. Jordan Peterson. Now, Dr. Jordan Peterson has many, many good things to say. And there's some things that he says that I completely disagree with. I think his view of scripture is erroneous. I think the way he sometimes speaks of the scripture positively, but almost gives the impression that it's mythological is, is of grave concern. So I'm not here to um, toot Jordan Peterson's horn and fly his flag and say, you know, he's, he's our Messiah, but he, he has done a lot of good things. And we, we certainly would hope and pray for the day when he would come to full faith in Jesus Christ. But it should concern us how he's currently being treated. This man is a veteran. He's a tenured professor. He's not some guy that just stumbled out of university. He's been doing this for decades. And we just heard this week that the Ontario College of Psychologists want to re-educate him and retrain him. Why? Did he mess up his counseling practice? No, he hasn't been doing that for years. He has he has millions of followers. He had to step out of private practice, so he hasn't been practicing in that capacity for a long time. But they, they want to sub subject him to re-education and social media training, like treat him like a baby. This is what you can say in this week, can't say on Twitter, on Facebook, because he's criticized Justin Trudeau, because he's spoken out against the transgender ideology. Now just think about that. I could care less what you think about Jordan Peterson. You can write all your own blogs and write your articles and criticize him online or compliment him however you see fit. I don't really care. But everyone should be concerned that a guild like this, this Ontario College of Psychologists, would seek to re-educate one of their long-term members because they don't like his politics. Think about that. The message to those that don't like him, again, is it doesn't matter. You should stand against this with him. Study history. This is the very definition of an intolerant society. We said this many years ago when we started to hear this language come across in our schools and in the media. Canadians should be tolerant, should be tolerant. That is 
an absolute pile of garbage. We know that's not, it wasn't true then because their version of tolerance is not true tolerance. It's being intolerant of Christianity, being intolerant of historical Christian Western values and promoting these radical ideologies. And lo and behold, I think I could accurately say without any being guilty of any hyperbole, the least tolerant people in our society today is, are the radical leftists. They're the least tolerant. I mean, they will use the full force of the law to penalize and punish anyone that dis disagrees with them. We saw this in terms of the way people were treated at the Ambassador Bridge blockade or out, out west. Literally, people that are disallowed from crossing the bridge are protesting the fact that they can't cross it. And all the goody two-shoes two, two show up and say, oh, you're destroying our economy, you're wrecking the world. Like, why are you here? You're the evildoers. These people are protesting the evil that you're doing against them. And somehow you frame them up as the bad guys because you happen to control the purse strings. You control the police. You have all the law enforcement tools in your, in your, at your disposal. The, the peaceful protests in, uh, in Ottawa. And by the way, don't even bother commenting on the peaceful protests in Ottawa if you weren't there. Okay, I'm sick and tired of people reading the mainstream media and concocting their own narrative of what happened. Okay, you weren't there, but if you wanted to actually see what happened, look at the video footage because the video footage of what happened there is not lined up with what the mainstream media largely presented. And it's certainly, you wonder like, is Mr. Trudeau living in an alternative universe? I feel like asking him what color is this guy in your world? Because his, the narrative that he promotes what happens of what happened there is, is completely completely the opposite of what actually was happening there. So that aside, we live in this culture where we have this, these evil ideologues pulling out every tool in their arsenal to try to penalize anyone that disagrees with them. And it's, a, it's, it's like the tall poppy syndrome when they would go out in the field and the evil emperor would, would identify a tall poppy in the field and lop, lop the head off, signaling to his, his guards I want you to take out this particular aristocrat who's got a little bit too much of a following. It's the same kind of an idea. You know, you got a few thousand people, a few million people following you on social media. Let's target that guy, right? Let's, let's penalize him. Let's punish them. This should concern every Canadian. Let me give you exhibit number three. Um, Bill C-11, the Online Streaming Act. And this is moving along pretty quick. It's in its third reading in, a, in the Canadian Senate. So what it's doing is it's, it is um, seeking to amend what's called the Broadcasting Act in Canada. The Broadcasting Act is sort of overseen by, by what's called the CRTC, which is sort of a, an association, a group of individuals who are supposed to monitor and essentially control what's allowed on radio and television. Okay, so the, it's, um, it, it controls what, what goes out on the public airwaves. Now, by the way, this is unbelievable. Every commissioner, vice chair and chairman on that board is a woman. So much for inclusivity. And if you read their bios, a couple of them are connected to indigenous activist groups, former, uh, formerly connected to the CBC, which is a state funded radio and television here in Canada, which is pretty left. A few good people that work for it perhaps, but it's pretty left. 
And this particular group, certainly not ideologically neutral. They want to, they want to give them the same powers to control the internet that they have over radio and television in Canada. And of course, as expected, as expected, they clutter up this bill, Bill C-11, with lots of woke language, the woke agenda. So here's what one sentence says in the, in the summary. It says, quote, serve the needs and interests of all Canadians. Pause. Okay, so that sounds good, but look where it goes. Serve the needs and interests of all Canadians, continuing the quote, including Canadians from racialized communities. Pause. That doesn't exist. Continue the quote. And Canadians of diverse ethno-cultural backgrounds. Pause the quote, except for white people, because it's in vogue to speak ill of white people. But everyone else, no, it's not, it's not allowed. Quote continues. Socioeconomic statuses. Let me pause the quote. Except if you happen to have some wealth, then you're a bad guy, especially if you're in the, the uh, crosshairs of Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP. Rit, to be rich is to be an evil person in a, in a radical socialist country like Canada. Quote continues, abilities and disabilities, sexual orientation, sexual orientations, gender identities, and expressions. It's like, come on, people, give me a break. And ages. So it's, they like to frame this stuff up so it sounds redemptive. It's like, we're the big justice warriors. We're here for everybody. Are you a racist? You know, we want to protect people that are victims of racism. We want to protect people of various ethno cultural backgrounds. We want to make sure what the rich and poor are accepted. Folks, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all garbage. It's all garbage. This, this same language, sexual orientations, gender identities, this is all made up language. That's all made up language. There's males and females, period. Everybody knows that. You're just a, a stupid fool if you deny it. That's all you are. You're a stupid fool. Everybody knows there's males and there's females. It's as clear as day. But they target, they use this language because the social justice warriors like that because they, they think it sound, it, it makes it sound like, well, we don't, we don't want people going on the internet promoting racism. Okay, well, uh, you could just read the Bible. That would fix that. We don't want um, people being discriminated against because they're rich or poor. Yeah, the, the Bible has something to say about that too. Like we, we had... We had laws in place. We had a general social ethic in place for centuries that taught these sorts of things from the Bible. But that's not what it's about. It's not true equality. It's specific groups. What they do is they, they target specific groups. They convince these groups that they're victims. And they convince these groups that they are their Messiah. And then they got them on the hook. And then they continue to use these groups. For example, the Trudeau government is using the indigenous groups in our country to promote their agenda. He wants them to think that he's their hero, he's their savior, that they are victims. And then his solution is to further push them into slavery and bondage by relying upon the state for their fresh water supply, for their housing, for their protection and on and on and on. This is a garbage plan. 
This is a, a plan destined for absolute failure. So it sounds redemptive, but it's not. It's not. And we've learned, by the way, from the MAID bill, which passed last year or so, the medical assistance and dying bill, all these people were saying, oh, yeah, but what if they start to apply it to the unwanted? Yeah, what about a disabled child? Oh, no, no, we won't do that. What if someone just says, you know, I just want to die. I'm just done. Oh, no, we won't do that. It's happening. So once the bill's passed, all the assurances, oh, we're not going to abuse bills C11. We're not, we're not going to be going after your, your sermons. Okay, we're not going to be, we're not going to be going after your, your partisan political comments. You know, this is a pluralistic country. It'll happen. Mark my words, save this podcast. It will happen. If this bill passes, the powers that be will use this to penalize anyone that disagrees with their agenda on any issue. Mark my words, it will happen. And then we have... Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader who's left of Trudeau. And he just came out and he wants to use his little band of NDP members of parliament to push the liberals to censor misinformation, right? So now it goes beyond these fake categories, sexual orientation, gender identities, whatever that means. And then manufactured racialized communities, ethno-cultural backgrounds, whatever that means to misinformation. Well, who decides what's proper information what's misinformation well guess who determines what misinformation is the same people that think a man can miraculously become a woman or that babies aren't humans or that inflation is caused by grocery stores it's the same people that are going to determine what's right and wrong now he's also concerned about spreading hate that's a that's a great word right they're constantly talking about hate 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 they, have, they don't define it. Um, you can lock people down and rob them of their, their right to work, visit their family, drive them to suicide, drive them to apostasy because they're no longer connected with their church community. There's nothing hateful about that. Apparently that's loving. Apparently that's loving. But hate is saying, putting up your hand and saying, um, yeah, actually a man's a man and a woman's a woman. Oh, that's hateful. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be having half naked thong wearing chubby men who are dressed like women dancing in front of our kindergarten students. So that, that's hateful. That's how it's being used. It's when men call good evil and evil good. So we have essentially... What we have, Chris, is the modern book burner movement. You know, you, you, you burn the books. And the book that I would say these folks would love to see burned first. And when I say like to, I'm not saying they're consciously thinking about this, but their ideology is moving in this direction. They want to burn the Bible. They've already declared it to be a myth. In Canadian law, the biblical view of sexuality has officially been declared a myth in our criminal code. But, you know, the Pat has no gender type books, which you can buy for your children at the local bookstore. Those are fair game. So these, these are hugely con concerning movements in our culture. And then if we stepped outside of Canada and look more broadly, I'm sure you've, you've heard a little bit about the Twitter files. Mm -hmm. 
So last month in December, some files were released based on conversations, emails, Slack channel conversations taking place in among Twitter employees prior to Elon Musk taking over, showing that Twitter's content moderators were favoring the progressives and penalizing conservatives. And there was a one that was quite shocking, Hunter Biden, whose laptop was dropped off at a repair shop and the, the owner forwarded some of the content from his lap, laptop uh, to others, showed him peddling foreign influence. But the, the geniuses at Twitter, who historically have been very left-leaning progressives, decided to withhold these revelations because at the time Joe Biden was supposed to be elected or was running for election. So they withheld it. And in that res respect, and negatively influenced the, the outcome of the election by not allowing the American people full access to what was actually going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So this isn't even conspiratorial stuff. This is just out there. It's a matter of public record. Some that were favoring conservative viewpoints were, were suspended for, for tweeting out. So they actually censored Twitter users from putting any of this stuff from Hunter Biden's laptop out in the public. And some of them had their accounts suspended for it. And then, um, of course, there's they released records of. Like, I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of many of the things that Donald Trump did. To be a, a fan of of Donald Trump, some of his antics is to be unchristian. Some of his policies were great, but some of the things he did were, were absolutely ridiculous. And and nevertheless, he represented the hard right, the conservatives during his tenure for the most part. And there's emails of Twitter, Twitter employees basically trying to group together to, to ban his account. So this is where they're not, it's like a loss of objectivity mm -hmm. and it's people in positions of power and influence trying to, trying to control what you and I can say online. Now, as you talk about that, there's obviously an element to spying or controlled speech that some might call good, even thinking, you know, maybe a parent thinks about compelling their children to say certain things or um, spying on their conversations to monitor them for their own good. So some, some could say, okay, yeah, there's some ways it's being used for bad, but like overall it's being used for good. Like maybe they're using this spying to also take down child sex predators or something like that. Uh, what would be your response to that? Obviously there's, there's, First of all, let me just make several comments. So first of all, let me just use the example of the Jordan Peterson scenario. Clearly, that's a pretty unambiguous example of certain ideologues not liking what he's saying and then using the powers that they've been entrusted with to try to penalize the man. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, if you look at some of the responses people have on the socials, to this story, you'll hear people say, good riddance, we want this guy off anyway. Like he's he's anti-trans, he's he's a he's a hate-filled guy. They, they just borrow all that that rhetoric and that language from people that have no moral basis to even use moral language against him. And they sort of applaud his troubles. Th those folks clearly are not being objective. They they don't understand history. Uh, when it happens to them, they're going to be crying a different tune. They should be defending him even if they disagree with him because 
in a liberal democracy like we're living in, there's room for people to criticize the political parties that be, and there's room for them to crit criticize the laws that are being passed. That's the nature of our social institutions. This is why we have an official opposition. Mm -hmm. This is why we elect people to office. The very systems of government that we've decided for all their failures and flaws do invite this kind of diversity of thought and opinion on these issues. And it's amazing that those that would, on one hand, champion democracy, on the other hand, would want to see their uh, opponents thwarted. I, I, I don't mind having some rowdy debates with people who have different ideologies than me. Uh, it serves to correct them. Sometimes it serves to shame them. Uh, and it sure serves to expose their foolishness. It's, it's a good thing in that respect. You can't spend your entire life doing that, of course, but it, that's not what's happening in our country. It's one side that's seeking to control everything. And those that represent the historic values of our country and nation aren't, aren't allowed to say anything. But the, the, one of the main points I would, I would give in response to that, and I want to talk about free speech in a little bit, because I think, I think sometimes Christians have a, a wrong view of what free speech is. But I would just reemphasize that we already know where this leads. And again, Bill C-4 is proof. Once the bill's passed, once the CRTC has power to control the internet, uh, the prime minister, the administration that is, who are influenced by everything from the uh, World Health Organization to various lobbyist groups are going to use that hammer to silence their opponents. And that should concern every Canadian. Secondly, when you consider the history of espionage, what this really is, is it's espionage. It's the state spying on its own citizens. Now there's a couple of different kinds of espionage. Espionage. One would be when the one state sends spies to spy on another nation. And there's just like when the spies were sent into the land of Canaan into, into Jericho to spy out the land, that was a, a good way to use spies. Sometimes it's necessary to spy on other nations, but it's always a concern when government officials start to spy on their own people who are not guilty of breaking criminal laws. I would be fine with a police officer, the RCMP, with the FBI, with whoever, spying on a drug cartel in their own nation or a group of people that are planning mass killings or terrorists, terrorist acts or these sorts of things. But to spy on your people because they have a different opinion than you do on gays, on marriage, on queer ideology, on censorship itself is a pretty low life move. It's a pretty low life move. You know, when the Nazis uh, were rising to power in Germany, a lot of people think that Nazism sort of just happened at the beginning of World War II, just sort of maybe a couple months before they just sprung onto the scene. No, the seeds of Nazism were being planted a lot earlier. And we're not anticipating concentration camps with Jews being hoarded into concentration camps and that sort of thing in the future. I'm not drawing a direct apples to apples comparison, but in 1933, the Nazi youth burned 
I think somewhere around 25,000 books that were considered un-German. Well, who defines what's un-German is? The Nazi party was defining what, un, what being un-German and what being German is. Now we have the liberals in our country defining what it means to be a Canadian. Oh, to be a Canadian is to be a radical progressive. To be a Canadian is to allow drag queens in your schools to dance half naked before your kids. To be a drag queen is to allow six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and 11-year-olds to pick their gender in school and to use their own pronouns without telling their parents. This is what it means to be a Canadian. So to be opposed to that is to be un-Canadian. It's the same thing. It's history repeating itself less than 100 years later. Now, some of the books that the Nazis burned, I'm sure, were trash. They, they should have been tossed in the circular file or run through the paper shredder. But when the state decides and enforces these antichrist ideologies, then we are in trouble. We know where that went in World War II. So spying on your own people is completely unjustified in this regard, and it should, it should concern us deeply, should concern us deeply. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be something that we continue to speak out against. So in logic, there's a, a argument called the slippery slope argument, right? Where you say, um, and it's, it's a logical fallacy to say, well, just because of this, all this is going to happen. But if you have a track record of things heading in a certain direction and it repeatedly shows itself to be true, it's actually a logical fallacy to say it won't happen, right? It would be opposite to say it would be, it would be foolish to say, this is the, the next thing they're taking in to control speech and they're not going to use it the same way they've used everything else. It would be entirely inconsistent for them not to, right? Yeah, well, the, the slippery slope argument has its own flaws. It's not, you can't categorically say that it's illogical to say if ABC happens in this situation and then that leads to D, that in another situation, you know, ABC might happen, but you can't logically conclude there's going to be a D. There's, there's something called a prophetic insight. I'm not saying that in a hyper-charismatic way. There's something called discernment. There's something called paying attention to the spiritual trends of a nation. There's something called history at our disposal. So when we are thinking through the issues of our day, it's not illogical to look at the past and allow the past to inform the present. It's not illogical to look out at what's happening in your country and see patterns and trends that one can look at and deduce from them, okay, what I'm seeing now is a concern because I saw where that particular trend ended up. I can discern, extrapolate that this particular issue is going to end up there as well. So that's what I'm interested in. And I think that if we look at so I, let me just back up the train a little bit and say this. If, if there was a Christian in Canada right now, a true bona fide Christian brother or sister in Christ that said to me, oh, we're not concerned about the trajectory of our nation. I would say, okay, you're either not, not a Christian or you're lying or you've been living in a cave. Mm -hmm. Like this, yeah. things are getting really bad in our country. And in other Western nations, we tend to be one of the leaders of the pack in terms of this radical godless ideology, but I'm very concerned about what I'm seeing south of the border as well with um, the current administration and a lot of the infighting and division. We have a ton load of division in our own country, but I'm seeing a lot of division in the United States as well. Like the lines in the sand are drawn deeper than they ever have been between the, the left and the right. 
and even many in on the right are really more left, just like we see in Canada. The, the, the major right-wing party in our country, the CPC, is left compared to his, historically where our country's gone. And it's certainly left compared to the word of God, right? So it's, it's kind of a matter of degree. So if you look at where our, our country's going, everyone would need to agree there's huge problems. And when you're looking at those, it doesn't seem to be getting better, it's getting worse. So if that's the way it's been going for several decades now, at least since the 1960s, why would I assume that there's you know, s smooth waters and, and sunny days around the corner? When we see bills like this coming out, we had C4, C11, the MAID bill, these bills are all antichrist bills because they are, they are an affront to humanity. They're an affront to the word of God. They're a affront to the value of life. And with this one, it might be a little more cloaked, but the, the language of it cluttered up with all these godless ideologies, it doesn't take a, a, a capital P prophet to predict with great assurance that this will eventually be used against the citizenry for any issue that the state takes uh, issue with. So mm -hmm. that, that would be my yeah. response to that yeah. Uh, objection. Yep. Okay. So the matter of free speech, I know you brought that up earlier. Some yes. Christians might uh, argue against these matters using the ideas of free speech. And I think one, one question we just want to ask is, do we actually believe in free speech and why? Well, we, we do and we don't. Just like I, I meet Christians that say they're libertarian. Like, what, what do you mean by that? Because like, I have a lot of friends that are libertarian. Most people that probably showed up at the freedom protests I was at probably would identify as libertarians. But the problem with true libertarianism is it's just taking the authority that the state is trying to claim and giving it to the individual. And that is not a biblical paradigm for authority. God does not give all. So let's say Chris Eelman does not have absolute authority over his own life. Aaron Rock does not have absolute authority over his own life. That's, that's unbiblical. So in the church, the elders actually have authority over the congregation. So if you're a, a congregant, which we all are, the collective elders of the church have authority over us. If you're a child, your parents have authority over you. If you're a wife, your husband has authority over you. If you're a citizen, your governing officials have authority over you. That's called sphere sovereignty. And we affirm that, that God has put, has delegated authority to each sphere None of those spheres have absolute authority. We've talked about that over and over again to her blue in the face. No pastor has absolute authority. No parent has absolute authority. No husband has absolute authority. No state has absolute authority. They have job descriptions. They're spelled out in the Bible. These are the things, just basic things you're supposed to do and not do. Fathers are supposed to train up their children in the ways of the Lord, but not exas uh, exasperate their children. Um, Husbands are supposed to lovingly lead their wives, but not hatefully lead their wives for no one hated his own body and you're one flesh. The state is responsible to wield the sword, but they don't have authority over the ministry of worship of the Christian church. So we've, we've talked about this ad infinitum. And so if a person in a congregation 
is spreading division, teaching heresy, committing immoral acts. They, the elders do have the right to confront and discipline that person. They can balk, yell, holler, scream. They're libertarians all they want. They have the authority to do that whether they like it or not. And so we, we believe in us. There's a certain authority that an individual has over their own body, but it's not absolute. And then in the same way, there's a certain freedom that we have to speak, but it's not absolute. So, you know, in law, there's various, even international laws talk about freedom of expression or countries that have freedom of speech laws, freedom of expression laws is generally the way they're called. So there can be a legal entitlement, entitlement to freely saying whatever you want to say. And in the word of God, uh, but in the word of God, I should say, there are limits to what we can and cannot say. And we're going to be ultimately accountable to God for that. But other people in spheres of authority around us, human spheres of authority, can also enforce God's laws upon the child, the wife, the, the congregant, the citizen. So, for example, when it comes to preaching, we're supposed to, we're told in the word of God to preach the word of God in season and out of season. Whether it's popular, unpopular, we preach it. So we preach the whole counsel of God's word. And many people have heard me say, you know, creatures don't apologize to other creatures what the creator has said. So we're always, we always have that freedom, that liberty, if you will. And I would say a commission to preach the whole counsel of God's word. We're supposed to speak the truth in love, but God's law constrains our speech. The reason why we say it's not absolutely free is God's law forbids gossip, slander. It forbids lies. It forbids in the Decalogue bearing false witness in a court. So that's where our speech is constrained. And in a properly ordered society, God's law would be taught into culture. And then the parent looks at the child and they're lying and says, you're not allowed to do that. You, you have to cut that out. You have to tell the truth. In a properly functioning society, the Ten Commandments would be acknowledged and a court would say, you're not allowed to perjure yourself in court. You cannot bear false witness. It destroys the whole judicial system. So that would be within the purview, the authority of a government to enforce perjury laws. And this is why historically Western people swore in the Bible. Those that don't swear in the Bible are not swearing in any authority beyond themselves. And that's why in a, in a pure moral sense, it's not immoral to lie in court if there's no basis upon which you can define what's right and wrong. So there's some hypocrisy there. There's some, that's just an odd aspect to our legal system. But we would say, we would swear on what God has said. Now, we're not going to get into a conversation about whether we should actually swear on the Bible, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But my point is, is that we're appealing to, if you prefer that language, an authority higher than ourselves as the ultimate law that says you don't bear false witness in a court of law. So that's where on one hand, if you're just kind of speaking in a very sloppy way, yeah, we believe in free speech, but technically not really. We believe in a certain freedom and liberty to speak, but it's also constrained by God's laws. But when it comes to speaking out against kids being exposed to hedonistic lies about their sexuality. Yeah, that's where we preach the Bible in season and out of season. That's where we call sin, sin and righteousness, righteousness.
the censorship laws that are in place, it's, it's fascinating to think about this. They're not banning blasphemy. They're not banning, banning the F word. They're not banning lies. They're not banning people from screaming at other people's face saying you're, you're a useless human being. They're not banning slander. They're banning truth. They're banning people from saying men are men and women are women. They're banning people from saying a man should have the due reward for his labor. They're banning people from saying, actually, I'm not a racist and I don't believe in races. And I, I believe people are equal in the sight of God. They're banning that. And they're promoting wickedness and evil through these censorship laws. Yeah. Yeah. And that all is very, well, when you think about it and step back, it's kind of depressing, right? <laughs> so, um, and obviously that's not our goal to be depressing here, but how can people respond as they think through this? So just like in the media, you can gain a following by just telling bad news a lot. Whoa, woe is me, doom and gloom. The world's falling apart. The sky is falling. Everything's horrible. People are like, oh, you know, misery deserves company. That's not what I want to do in this podcast. But what I do want to do is honestly expose the evil. I want to honestly expose the lies. I want people to spot the lie when they're being told. And that's why we analyze and dissected many of these scenarios today. So people are aware of it. And so people can spot the lies in these various activities that are taking place in the social sphere. But in terms of response, I have some good news and I have some encouragement. And the one thing I just want to say right out of the gates is don't let them intimidate you. Just choose in your heart of hearts. I'm not going to be intimidated by this. Now, flowing out of that then... Uh, you, you want to call them out and use your voice, use your sermons, use your conversations, use your social media. By the way, there was life before social media. So even if it goes away for some reason, there's other means of getting the truth out. It's a great tool in many respects, but, you know, it can also be like staring into the darkness. So in the meanwhile, though, we can use these platforms that we have to call them out and let them know that you know. Let them know that you're listening. Let them know that you're analyzing. Let them know that you know where this is going. So that's really important. Third, I would say, speak freely. Constrain your, your um, comments by the categories of God's word. So we don't want to be lying uh, we don't want to be bearing false witness, but we speak truth to power. Um, you know, when Jesus was uh, confronting the authorities of his day, he wasn't afraid to be straightforward. And uh, I know there's a, a lot of uh, kind of a movement, I guess you could call it, in evangelicalism in our countries. It talks about you know, always being winsome and kind of Mr. Rogers-ish in terms of how you communicate, keep the decimals below 20, circle in, circle in again, never really land the plane, uh, throw out a lot of compliments, send chocolates and roses, whatever it might be. 
Well, there's a time for that, but there's also a time to say, you, sir, have descended into the bowels of carnality. You, sir, are a liar. You, sir, are destroying lives. You, sir, need to be stopped. We know what you're doing, sir. There's a place for that. And some might be too shy to say that. Others might be quite comfortable saying it, but it needs to be said. It needs to be said. So, by the way, one, one manifestation of this on January the 15th, many pastors in our country, in the US, in Europe, and around the world are going to band together and they're going to preach in their churches sermons on biblical sexuality, biblical sexuality Sunday. In a large part, that's a response to this whole fake conversion therapy bill, this trumped up conversion therapy bill that was passed by the federal government in Canada there a year or so ago, calling the word of God a myth, which we take great offense to. By the way, that's a religious statement. That's a religious bill because it's declaring the word of God to be a myth. It's not ultimately about protecting people from uh, mistreatment. Um, it's about declaring God's word to be a myth and declaring this radical new neo-pagan view of human sexuality and sexual sin to be acceptable. And many of us are gonna preach from the word of God what God has to say about human sexuality in order to inform our people and encourage our people. And not just in, as a way of reacting to what's going on in our culture, but to positively presenting to our people, positively present to our people a biblical vision for sexuality, which properly understood is a very beautiful thing. So you're welcome to, to join us in that regard. And then I would say, um, be intolerant of evil. Our enemies are intolerant of good. Be intolerant of evil and denounce it. And then finally, Chris, I would say numbers matter. If we could rouse the sleeping church in the Western world to actually do its job, to declare the Lordship of Christ over the nations, which is a pretty politically charged statement, by the way, that he is king, king of kings and Lord of lords. If we could rouse a sleeping church, I mean, we would be a force to be reckoned with. But unfortunately, it seems to me that it's a small remnant that are willing to speak the truth. And we need more to be able to speak the truth, not just behind their closed doors when no one's watching and the thought police aren't recording you, but to speak the, tr the beautiful truths of God's word into a culture that is constantly spewing lies that are destroying people's lives. So we, if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God's word, we're not just going to preach the conversion story. We're not just going to preach the conversion, our conversion theology. We're going to preach that. But we're going to herald the kingship of Christ. We're going to speak out against injustice. We're going to speak out against the abuse of the widow and the orphan. We're going to speak out against all of these issues to the glory of God. So um, I, I don't think we need to win in the short term in order to be motivated to keep fighting. I find it a little odd how quickly a lot of Christians get depressed and bummed out when oh, there's an election coming up. Oh, it didn't go the way we wanted. Now we're all depressed. 
do you got any antidepressants to give me? <laughs> you know, um, I find it a little odd that at the first signs of trouble, a lot of Christians run and hide. I find that odd. God calls us to a life that guarantees we're going to suffer for him, but there is beauty on the other side. And it's our privilege and honor to, to stand for truth and righteousness. It doesn't mean that, you know, every day we we're on the front lines doing frontline battle with the forces of darkness. I mean, we do need a bit of Sabbath time. We do need a bit of downtime on occasion. We need time with our families and we need time to worship and just kind of, whoo, you know, get out of the fray. I understand that. That's really important. We are human. We're fragile. We're vulnerable. But we need to man up and um, toughen up and be steadfast and persevere and count the cost. And it's, there's a temptation for us to, you know, want to live the good life now. And I understand that because I'm a human being as well. But there's something beautiful about also suffering for Christ and being willing to speak the truth in love, even when you don't want to. And there's many times I, I don't want to, mm -hmm. but we do it because it's the right thing to do. And uh, it does make a difference. And the, if, if the people around us here, you know, the, the one odd voice calling them out, they're not going to pay attention to that to the same degree that if the whole of Christ's church speaks out and says, you know what? Yeah, on our watch, we're not going to allow you to destroy the next generation through abortion. We're not going to allow you to destroy the next generation by allowing children to have irreversible surgeries to cut off their genitalia. We're not going to allow you to do that. We're not going to allow you to burn our books. Uh, we're not going to allow you to promote these foolish hedonistic agendas. And there's ways of doing that. I mean, frankly, a lot of this is just a word war. Just the more people speak the truth, the more um, more others are willing to pay attention and the more um, you know, the gauntlet is kind of thrown down. Obviously, running for political office and this sort of stuff, we need to keep doing that because you, you get into positions of authority and power and, and you're able to help affect the decisions that are made. So these are all kind of encouragements, um, things that kind of galvanize us and some to-do items that will help us to advance um, the agenda of Christ into, into culture. That's good. Yeah. And to our listeners, we're grateful for you tuning in. And Aaron obviously is a, a very, uh, you know, outspoken voice for truth, but we need you to also speak for truth. I think that's the, the takeaway there in the application. It's when we're silent uh, that evil continues to triumph. So so thank you, Aaron, for setting the example, for, for sharing with our listeners today and giving us some uh, insight into these issues. We want to remind listeners that this podcast can be heard on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network uh, on their app, as well as over on Aaron's website, pursuitofglory.org. So make sure to check those out and uh, also do the favor of sharing this. Social media is a good tool for that. And we hope then that you will tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Mm -hmm.